This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Territory Story Podcast. Apologies, we've been uh, a little bit lax in the last couple of weeks with uh, just the weekends with Bolshe, which I know you all love. But uh, equally, you also love the Territory Story, the traditional Territory Story. So um, we're back here with another episode. Um, and I will now introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Cold Peter Gowers. Hello, Leon. And in response to that comment, I would say, unless you've listened to all 320 episodes, if we don't do one for a week or two, you can always go back and uh, check one you haven't looked at. <laughs> or, or worse, go and listen to one again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, coping all right there, mate? You're all rugged Not up. Not really. Now. No. Yeah. I've, I've had the fire going for every day and night since I've been back, and it's terrible. I mean, I actually don't know how people live in this. And I know that uh, – There are some people that love this concept of four seasons and putting on, you know, winter clothes and summer clothes and all that, but I do not subscribe to that way of thinking. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, when are you back? A couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll be ready to thaw out by the time I get back. (laughs) I thought you made it your business to be up in Darwin during the dry season. I do. I do. Well, I'm I'm selling a house and – there's a bit required in order to, you know, make sure that's ready to go. So it's, uh, it is what it is. All right. All right. Well, mate, uh, I would like to introduce you um, and our audience to someone who I've known for only a little while, but um, mm-hmm. but uh, we will get into that shortly. Lisa Melner. Lisa, welcome to the Territory Story podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you guys. You yeah. seem like you're nervous, Lisa. Don't be nervous. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not nervous. Don't worry. Just give us 10 minutes, Lisa, and uh, you'll uh, forget all about the fact that we're actually recording a podcast here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, um, Lisa, by the uh, sound of your accent, you're obviously not from here. Why don't, yeah. you, uh, why don't you tell us where you're from and, uh, and how you got here? Okay. Long story or short story? We'll start with the uh, we'll start with the synopsis, and then we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll drill so, deeper. <laughs> so I am not from here. I'm from Oregon. A, I would say a little town, but it's not so little anymore. Called Bend, Oregon. For people that don't know where Oregon is, it's the state in between California and Washington on the West Coast. And grew up there. Kind of traveled a little bit all over um, the U.S., not with my family, just myself. So as I got older, my graduated high school a bit early, moved to college, then moved to New York, then traveled, then eventually made my way to Australia. So that would have been in, I keep forgetting, I think 2010, October 2010, I landed in Sydney was there for about four years and then made my way up to the territory. So it's the very, very short version. And what are you doing here? Well, the full-time job, I am a travel agent, okay. an ind- independent work for now myself. Now I know the connection, agent. Leon and travel, I've got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on that. Lisa and I are actually working on that, but that's yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also work um, – I'm the project manager for Maven Global, which is a company that 
um, is originally based out of Sydney. And then I help with the territory aspect of their business. So I do that on the site as well. And that's how we got to me, right? That is correct. Yes. So, Deanna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Deanna. I'm sure you're listening to this podcast <laughs> in one of your long walks. We'll try, we'll try and make it worth your while. <laughs> right, right. So, let's um, let's talk about Oregon, right? Oregon. Uh, the first time I ever heard about Oregon was somebody wore a pair of shoes in, uh, back in the 1980s. <laughs> yes. Yes. Was there some popular shoes? Right, yeah. So, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Adidas actually had uh, a model called the Oregon, amongst others. Mm. Oh, right. I, I was actually not even thinking about that. And from an American <laughs> perspective, we say Adidas. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Pete, what do I you have- say? <laughs> okay. So I'm so glad you bring that up. And I wasn't going to raise this issue. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing, right? Because growing up in that sort of era, Hmm. And listening to bands like Run DMC, of course, they used to refer to that. But Lisa, I've got one to throw back at you, okay? okay. And, I, okay. and I would not do this if you hadn't raised the Adidas versus Adidas issue. And I would say Adidas, <laughs> by the way, because I think that's the Australian version. If you want, if you want to be considered a fully fledged Territorian, mm. Territory, yes, as opposed indeed. to Territory. Right. And I know Americans elongate the Tory because we've spoken to three or four others. So that was the first thing I was told when I got here. If you want to sound like a local, you've got to call it the territory, not the territory. So I've been here almost eight years, and that's the first time somebody's told me that. (laughs) There you go. I I would have picked it out if you'd said territories because I don't know how many Americans have rocked up here and uh, talked about the Northern Territories. I'm like, dude, this is in the Northwest Territories, right? Okay, we're not in Canada. <laughs> but um, look, Oregon, uh, very interesting. The second, the second time Oregon came on, onto my radar was when I was about sixteen, and there was a there was a a, a religious faction or cult, if you like, called the Orange People. Yes. That um, Southwest Oregon. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so they rocked up in Western Australia back in 1985, give or take, um, to a little town called Pemberton in the southwest of WA. I mean, you couldn't possibly have been any further away from Oregon, honestly, um, to set up a commune there. Um, so yeah, that was the second time I'd, I'd heard of Oregon and I always thought it was very fascinating how these people came all the way from the middle of nowhere in the U S <laughs> to set up camp in the middle of nowhere in Western Australia. So, um, I find it interesting that those are the two things yeah. that you think about. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Oregon. <laughs> that, that was, uh, I mean, there's so many other great things. <laughs> yeah. So so, um, look, there was, I mean, Oregon, I mean, let's be fair, it doesn't, it, it's not a flyover state, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it, it's not one that comes to mind immediately, though, it does, is it, does it no. to foreigners? No. People, 
I mean, honestly, most people that I come across don't have any idea. They think it's on the East Coast or... Oh, my Yeah, they, they have no clue. Oh. So it is... And I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because that's mm-hmm. where I'm from. But I would say if you are an outdoorsy person, Oregon's pretty much the best place that you can go. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So talk to but, us about your family then. Uh, you've oh. got your, your parents. How did, they end up, how did you end up in Oregon, in Bend of all places? So I actually was thinking about this because I've listened to the last two Americans that were on this podcast. <laughs> and you can't they have, just by that. <laughs> <laughs> they had really fascinating history and family background. And I was telling my mom I was going to be on this. And I said, you know, I kind of gave a little synopsis of the other two. And she goes, oh, boy, our family's super, super boring. So, <laughs> I mean, how That's what they all say. No, really, I I have to admit that I'm not a super family and detail oriented person. So I don't know a lot of my history. I know my parents are really into genealogy. So they have done all of that. And that fascinates them. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really fascinate me. I'm kind of a lone wolf. So nothing stuck. (laughs) I mean, I think um, on my dad's side, they're from Croatia and Germany. And oh, maybe right. Malta. Oh, but wow. other than that, my mom's side, my grandpa was in World War Two. No, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was in the <laughs> Navy. I don't really even know. They were based in um, when my mom was growing young, when she was younger, they were based in Hawaii for a while. Oh, yeah. Wow. But other than that, I am a really horrible, horrible person when it comes to my, my history <laughs> and my background. So uh, how did they end up in Oregon? Both my parents are, I mean, born and raised in Oregon. With the the exception of the period that my mom went to Hawaii, they were, they've always been there. Yeah. And my siblings still live there. My parents still live there. And then there's me who couldn't wait to get away. I mean, there are so many people that come on this podcast that are just like you. Uh, they're the black sheep of the family. Yeah, <laughs> That's why they're yeah. in the the territory. Yeah. Uh, so, um, tell us about your siblings. Uh, what? Uh, how many do you have? So I have an older sister who is three years older than me. She got married super young, like twenty. Has four kids. Great. Yeah. <laughs> My brother is six years younger than me. He's married. Has two kids. Um, I was raised religious. Well, was, my family was religious. I chose not to follow that path. So, into what religion are we talking about here? Mormon. Okay, right, right. Wow, so right interesting. Next door, I mean, so where's yeah. Utah? In, 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 in <laughs> poor old Utah gets brought in. So there. I know, poor old Utah. So <laughs> not far. It's two states over. <laughs> Couple of door knocks over. over. Yeah, so we, of course, went there when I was younger as a holiday, Mm -hmm. not my favorite destination, but yeah, my parents, my family's great. Like, I don't want it to sound like I'm, I don't love my family. Mm -hmm. They're amazing people, but I could not be more opposite than them. Right, right. right. And so what what did your parents do? Uh, My mom has been in health insurance forever mm-hmm. so she just retired well she's semi-retired hopefully by the end of this year she'll be fully retired and my dad was an outside salesperson for an auto parts company and he right. retired 
uh, and right they, before COVID. Right, oh. and they all live in 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 Bend. They all live in Bend. Right. So population, uh, same as Darwin made. Oh, well, wow. yeah, yeah. When I was growing up, I think it was about eighty thousand. Now it's upwards of about one hundred and twenty. So wow. of course, when I talk to my family, they complain and. You know, traffic. Oh, all these, all these Californians are coming up here. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a Chinese restaurant there? Um, we are all about Mexican restaurants. <laughs> yes, yes, right. that's the one thing that I miss the most in Australia is a proper Mexican restaurant. Interesting. Uh, what about the joint in Peru? No. The one thing I miss the most no. about Australia is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's a delay in the line. Yeah, right? it is yeah. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, uh, you know, Brad works for us, Pete. Um, he's a he's a lawyer yep. from uh, from California, as a matter of fact, and he says yep. exactly the same thing. The I think Mexican if you talk to any American, especially any American from the West Coast, you're right. We will say. Because uh, there's there's a few that are um, in the territory. Ter 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 <laughs> did I say well that done. right? <laughs> you did, but you sounded funny saying it. I know because <laughs> I kept catching myself. But um, I've had that conversation with all of them, and they're all from either California. Actually, I was at a, co uh, a conference with uh, Top End Tourism, Tourism mm -hmm. Top End, can't even talk. And I was sitting next to a gal from Darwin Convention Center, and she goes, where are you from? I said, oh, the U.S., where are you from? She goes, Oregon, I said, <laughs> so am I. So, and then of course we all talk about how I miss Mexican food. Okay, so that's really talk, interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, look, it is. But that's oh, like your know. default menu, is it? it yeah, is. it is. Yeah. Right. But that's I was in Mexico, hmm. and I tried every single kind of Mexican food I could get my teeth into, and I was because I was trying to figure out what is this thing with Mexican food. I was struggling to understand that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that we we don't, especially where I'm from. I mean, I think there is now, but ten years ago when I was living there, there was not Thai food and Vietnamese and right. all these yeah. other Asian. Yes, there was Chinese, but it was so yeah. Westernized Chinese yeah. that you know anybody could make it and we'd think that it was great yeah. so we were raised with mexican flavors so you know yeah. jalapenos and a bit of spice uh, okay yeah, all about very, the spice very, very different spice those smoky yeah. spice flavors versus mm. you know asian flavors can be in your face Full on. <laughs> you know, leave nothing to the imagination <laughs> yeah 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 so it's a very very different spice factor yeah so what's what's the top three mexican dishes if if i said you got your favorite restaurant next door tonight what would you get well <laughs> i would probably do arroz con pollo which is chicken and cream sauce basically but okay that sounds so boring and it's really not <laughs> no i get it, I get it. With, with the special spices and flavors yeah yep. i think a proper queso so cheese dip and okay. a proper um, guacamole. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those aren't dishes, but those are just some. I know what you mean. They're the flavors. Yeah. So I make a lot of my own Mexican food, and then I make lots of dishes and put them in freezer packs and give them to my friends so that they can enjoy it. So do we, we have the flavors here, but you've got to do it yourself. Or is there something that you think, no. oh, I just wish I had this or that? Or yeah, We, we make do. We make okay. 
And then anytime I go home or anytime my friends go home, we get some specific spices that we bring back with us. Oh, cool. Next time we'll see you on that airport show getting busted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need 500 kilos of this spice, madam? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So uh, Bend, is, is it's quite far from the coast, isn't it? Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. So that's like um, Catherine, give or take a little bit. (laughs) But you're also going over multiple mountains to get there. Right. Right. And weather changes, weather conditions? Weather, you could have every season in one day. Right. As you pass through the different mountain ranges? Well, even if you stand in place. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I'm from, we have a ski resort, so we do mm. get the snow, but then we also get 100 degree weather in in the summer. Right. It's the high desert, so it's similar um, kind of to Alice in the sense that it can get really hot at night, but then really cold, or sorry, really hot during the day and really cold at night. Oh wow! Yeah, interesting. You've got, you've got the Bend Whitewater Park there. Is that a river or something? Is there? The river that runs through. Well, there's the Deschutes River that runs right through Bend, which does a lot of white water. Okay. I don't know if the park is something new, maybe out of Sun River. Right. Mm. I don't. I don't know what you're googling, so I can't tell. Oh, you. I'm just looking at the map. That's all. That's <laughs> it's a trick yeah. question. <laughs> so okay, so um, growing up in Bend, what was what was it like? <laughs> So, um, I thought it was great. I love Bend. It was really relaxed. A lot of Oregonians are kind of hippies. So, we are known for being tree huggers. We are also known for lumbering. So, it is that conflict of interest. You know, we were um, <laughs> the biggest lumber state, but then a lot of, a lot of hippies come to Oregon. Um, like the uh, orange people. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know hippies. if they're hippies or just, just weird. To, to replant the lumber. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so growing up, it was pretty chill and laid back. Um, mm. But I was a weird one because I worked. I worked all the time. That was what I did. So I don't know if I enjoyed. I didn't feel like my childhood was bad, but I probably didn't have a childhood like a lot of the locals that would go skiing every winter and, you know, enjoy the lazy raft down the, the river during the summer and things like that. I just worked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And did you, okay. Were there any foreigners there when you were growing up? No. Yeah, I think we us. had, I think we had like two black people too. So Gosh. Wow. yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the time I got to college, there was definitely some Hispanics um throughout but no it's a it's not a very diverse could be now but it's it definitely has not been a diverse state at all interesting are there any stories behind that lisa well not not to my knowledge um well well here we go i I could be here we go do you do a fact fact check of this at the end (laughs) so there have Depends been. how tall the story is. Yeah. <laughs> so there there was or could possibly still be a fairly large group of the KKK in the ah, southern was, southern part of that. Oregon. Yes. Um, ah, yes. So that was 
definitely a factor. Yes. I yeah. you just you didn't talk about it, you know, like and and back then it that wasn't necessarily you didn't correlate the two. Yeah. I had That's... read that somewhere in the last few years. Yeah. And I don't know why it must have been off the back of some Washington Post mm-hmm. article or something like that. But the the KKK had a had a branch office in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In southern Oregon, yeah. Branch and office it, indeed. <laughs> it was actually quite a large a large chapter or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Interesting. Gee, we're, we're making them sound very formal with branch offices and chapters. <laughs> I'm, picturing, I'm picturing them in some disused barn somewhere. Uh, you guys yeah. have got them in office blocks. Uh, well, unfortunately, that's kind of what it is these days. Yeah. They're a lot more sophisticated than they were back in. So, you, so you know, you said you knew they were there, but you didn't really talk about it. Do you, do you think that that is likely to have influenced? Well, you know, you said that there weren't anybody of color really in your town when you grew up. I just, I'm sure that's probably happened here as well, but I just, I've never heard it articulated that way. Um, yeah, I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, that's a good question. Man, you're really asking me things I didn't prepare for. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think that we were very insular. Like it, it just, there wasn't a lot of exposure and I don't know if anybody ever really thought about it. I, Bend is a pretty expensive town to live in. So you, we either had kind of the middle upper class or lower class, but even the low, like poor couldn't really afford to live there. They would live on the outskirts of towns and stuff like that. So unless you, of, of any race, unless you were somewhat, wealthy you couldn't really afford there now if you went up to portland there was there was definitely more there was a bigger hispanic uh, a lot of the hispanics that came up into oregon would go to where they had the um field so if they were doing farming and things like that so that would be in more of the areas that wasn't or uh bend bend didn't have that we were we're a tourist destination really that's that's what we're known for and then up in portland it would be our biggest city so you would have a bit more diversity up there but uh, yeah i know for me because i got out of not only oregon but also the states at a younger age traveling and had the opportunity to go to different places I think I noticed it a lot more by the time I was 17 and coming back and going, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So Everybody looks vanilla just like that. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I still don't think that in a lot of places throughout the U.S., Oregon included, that's even really considered because they don't know different. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So um, your brother and sister and their families all still living in Bend? Yep. Interesting. Right. And do they catch up like on the weekends for dinner and stuff or do they? My sister's family is quite busy because her kids are older. They're all teenagers or um, in their early 20s. But they do. They all get together. My parents watch my brother's kids fairly regularly, especially during the summer. So they're yeah they they all communicate and they hang out much more than I even talk to any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So you are the middle child, and um, at what age did you leave Bend? So I graduated high school a year early. So I was seventeen, 
I immediately went to Japan for a couple months as an exchange. It was weird because I was an exchange student, but I wasn't a student anymore. So I just went and I could actually do a lot of things because we stayed with individual families. I stayed with a family where their daughter stayed with us for a few months. And um, yeah, and it was great because I had taken several years of Japanese. So I was really like that culture just really fascinates me. And then, but then we were in Tokyo for probably like two weeks. And because I couldn't get in trouble, I was going to all the vending machines and taking all the fun things out of the vending machines. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So it's great. Um, But then I came back, went to college. Um, But just hold up, hold up. This is is such an interesting thing. Like you, you grew up in, in Oregon in what can only be described as a almost a monocultural experience mm-hmm. yet they taught japanese at school no they didn't well they kind of did it was a um a program that i had to go in at 7 a.m and do oh. it satellite so they were actually the, the teacher was in texas and there was about six of us, I think, in my high school that came in at 7 a.m. So we could have this class and learn the language. Okay, this is going to age you, and I, and I don't mean to do that, but I'm just trying to understand this in the grand context of, of, of early history. Early 90s. Of early 90s, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's wow. late, though, isn't it? Yeah. So we yeah. didn't have – the only language you could learn in my school would have been Spanish. <laughs> Maybe French, probably French. Yeah. Wow. And so what made you decide yeah. to choose Japanese? <laughs> when I was in first grade, we had our social studies that was broken up into a we had four different countries, countries we learned about. To be honest, I cannot tell you all of them. I want to say one of them was Germany, one of them was Canada. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I know, right? I don't That's know. That's a other cop one. out. But, but then Japan. And I just immediately fell in love with it. And I went home when I was learning about it. And I said to my parents, I am going to go to Japan one day. And so that was when I was, what, seven years old. And then as soon as I could take the, the language, I started taking it and I started saving my money. We, applied to get a, a exchange student to stay with us. So she stayed with us when I was 16, I think. Yeah, probably 16. And, and she then, was from Japan? Yeah, she was from Japan. We had an ex- a sister exchange school. So okay. they brought over like 10 or so, and then 10 of us went over there. And then you I... must have been excited like hell yeah. the day she turned up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yes, although she was not social. Okay. So she what stayed in, <laughs> She stayed in her room a lot. And it was hilarious because when she left, we went into the room and she had made this enormous origami like wind chime. Right. <laughs> I'm I can't even thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces. That is what she did the two months that she stayed with us. Wow. Maybe she was just um you know, <laughs> I'm scary. Frightened of all the white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, I mean, to be taken out of Japan of all places. I mean, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to go there myself. It would have been one hell of a culture shock for her, surely. Yeah. I think she was just a shy person. Although she didn't 
So I went over there. She definitely had gotten less shy. And then we stayed in touch. And I found out she got pregnant outside of marriage. So she, she went, I think, I think she went a little further on the uh, non shy side. Yeah. All that repression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so you stayed no, with her when you went to Japan? Yeah. I stayed with her and her family. Uh, and where was that exactly? Um, it was in about an hour south of Toyota. Toyota, where the hell is I love that? it? It's a big um, <laughs> waiting for your smart ass comment there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a big warehouse, Leon. Um, okay, so you went to Japan, you stayed with her family. Let's talk about um, wealth levels, Lisa. Were they a rich family, poor family, somewhere in between? I think they were middle class, they had yeah. a nice house. Uh, yeah. It was a smaller village, so you know, they. I would say it was nice. They let me have my own room. There was, yep. she had an older sister and a younger brother as well. And then her grandma stayed with them. Yep. Um, but I remember we went, we didn't eat out very much. And and I have to admit back in the day, Leon, this is probably going to just make you shake your head. I was not an adventurous eater back then. Wow. And, um, to Japan. And I went oh, to Japan boy. and. Oh boy. They were making me meals that were just things I couldn't eat, like whole fish with the eyeballs and the scales, and I just couldn't do it. And I was trying so hard. And then one day, probably three or four days in, they made me the most delicious salmon. And then, of course, I love rice. Like rice I could eat every single day. And uh, I was obviously hungry because I hadn't eaten very much while I'd been there, and I gobbled it up. And so they gave me rice and salmon for my lunch every single day the rest of the time. <laughs> 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 Which kind of fits in with Oregon anyway, isn't it? Like, I yeah. Mean, salmon yeah. I love it. Yes, How'd yeah. You, I mean, we've got the best seafood ever. Yeah. How did you go for uh, Mexican food while you were there? Not. It's all right. I mean, it was a shorter period. It's not like 10 years going without. But, uh, <laughs> a couple but of months one, you can do. Yeah. One night they took us, the family, we all went out to a restaurant for dinner. And it was a pub uh, style, whatever. And I remember this big plate of rice with this meat over it. The meat looked different. I, it didn't look like fish. It was raw. And I couldn't really figure out what it was. And they were like, no, it's chicken. And so they, I was like, you don't eat raw chicken. But yeah, they do. And that was, you know, a delicacy for they were treating me just like, you know, sometimes they they serve raw horse as a delicacy to impress people. And um, unfortunately, I couldn't do it just could not nah. could not eat it. But um, that was, they would go to pubs, they told me that they go to pubs, because it's cheaper than them going to a fancier restaurant. So I don't think that they were poor. I definitely never felt like we went out without when, when yeah. I was there. But I don't think that they were super wealthy. Yeah, it's just uh, the reason I asked that is, and you probably listened to it, but probably a month ago we spoke to another lady from the U.S. who has a very similar story, finished school early, wasn't going to start uni, so she went to France. Went to France. Yeah, I listened yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was interesting because the mm -hmm. first family, they basically treated her like a slave because they were, mm -hmm. you know, multi-gazillionaires. And then she went to live with pretty much a poverty-stricken family and they treated her as part of the family. And it's just yeah. a really interesting story. Uh, my family was amazing. They they were so lovely. And 
very, very generous, but also only the older daughter and and then my friend, my exchange student, they were the only two that could speak any kind of English. So uh, it was, um, you know, me having to practice what I've learned, which was challenging as well, because when I was anywhere else, everybody wanted to practice their English with me and they yeah. wouldn't let me practice my Japanese. <laughs> of course. Yeah. What uh, yeah. what year was this, Lisa? That would have been in 96. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gee. Interesting, interesting. And so, look, I, there's so many Toyotas in Japan. Which one, oh. <laughs> which one is it? Gosh, you haven't found the retail outlets, have you, Leon? <laughs> right, um, that's not all the car dealerships around <laughs> Japan. <laughs> Let's see if I can find it. And if, while I'm looking it up, we can talk about something else. It would be the it's southeast. How far away from Tokyo was it? Um, about a three-hour bullet train. Okay. I think I know where it is. Uh, I did have a question, Lisa, as well, just about um, how you chose to go to Japan. And you said that your mum had spent time in Hawaii. Um, I don't know if you mentioned that it was around World War Two with your grandfather, but was there any backlash with that because i know in my you know grandparents experience they were, it was still very down on the japanese you know 30 years later yeah so what they wouldn't have um i, I didn't have any so my mom probably lived there in the late 50s early 60s okay. yeah yeah um no my parents and my grandpa were always supportive of everything that I did. Okay. Yeah. They also never had an option not to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I think that's one thing that I give my parents a lot of credit for is I was a child that said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, you know, so it doesn't really With matter what. Or without you. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. And, and I, my parents quickly realized that that was the case. And if they wanted me in their life, then they supported me as much as they could. And they always have. Yeah. Mm. I've done many of things that they have had to sometimes <laughs> shake their head. Yeah. Um, Leanne, it's, if you see Nagoya, yeah. it's the Toyota right below that. Okay. Right. And uh, my gosh, and, and they didn't worry that you were going so far away. <laughs> so my parents always worried about everything <laughs> and that was a, a bit of a an issue with me because i had the mindset and i still do i could walk out my front door and something drastic could happen to me so might as well live it up and, and do whatever i want now and enjoy it and um sure my, my mom probably stressed i gave my dad a lot of gray hair I always laugh because my parents being religious they you know never drank they never smoked they never smoked or I've heard my dad swear twice and both times were directed at me. So. <laughs> Congratulations. 100% I know, record. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. They deserve a lot of credit because I was Right, and so how long was that experience? How two long months. Was... Just, just shy of two months. Oh, two months. So it's not too bad. It wasn't like no. uh, Matthew McConaughey's 12 months. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But I, I've said this to the to the other Americans that have been on the show. 
Green Light by Matthew McConaughey is absolutely worth a read. I have it downloaded. Have you? Uh, the book uh, or the, the audio book. book? Okay. The book, but I heard you talking about the audio. Oh, and I think I'd like the audio better. Yeah. It's so good. And he's so funny. And the way he describes Australia is just really, <laughs> it's just every bit of, you know, it just makes me cringe, honestly. <laughs> I think I told you, Pete, it's like a cross between the dish and, uh, and the castle, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes you cringe and proud at the same time. <laughs> so, okay, so two months you came back and then what, you went to university? Went to university um, as Americans. or somewhere else? No, I, <laughs> I went to a place called Southern Oregon University. Mm-hmm. And in the... 80s, I believe it was voted for many years in a row as one of the top ten party colleges in the university in the U.S. <laughs> Pizza I College. I love really, it. really excited That's about where that. I would have gone to, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oregon or university in the U.S. I have a major issue with. I won't get on my soapbox um, for too long, but you're taught from a very young age that if you don't go get a college degree, you will do nothing in your life. You will never be successful. You will never succeed. I hated school. I hated school at a very young age. I wanted to live in the world and experience things. And so going to college and going to college a year early, because I had graduated early, um, I did it because that's what you're told to do. My parents are not wealthy. So I was working my ass off to earn the money to go to school, taking out heaps of loans. So I went um, and also in a four-year university there, your first two years are trivial classes. They're all um, classes that they just force you to take, have nothing to do with what you're interested in. And I did not do well. I really, really struggled. I worked, I was working, you know, 40 hours a week and taking a full course schedule. And um, I just didn't enjoy taking classes like art history and geology and, you know, a bunch of random things that meant nothing to me in life. So I did that for a year and then wanted to travel again. So I became a nanny in New York City and moved to New York for... How did you get that job? So I originally went through an agency. There's lots of agencies in the U.S. looking for nannies. And I was going through the whole process. And a friend of mine from Bend was a nanny already in New York. And she said, oh, my boss has a friend that's looking for a new nanny. So they flew me out there for a long weekend. And... I mean, everybody can be amazing for three days. So (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes, you know, young and dumb, 18 and, you know, this new experience and opportunity. So I packed up, moved in with them. Where was this exactly? Well, so this was on Fifth Avenue. Oh, so it's in Manhattan. Manhattan. In Mm. fact, did you ever see the movie Ransom with Mel Gibson? Yeah. The building that that is filmed in was the building that I lived in. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not the, we were we were not at the uh, penthouse, but right. that building. Wow. So, 5th Avenue and 116th Street and um the family well, I wouldn't say that they were rich. The mom's grandparents or the mom's parents were incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. Um Mom had gone to 
Actually, mom was a lawyer. She went to, oh no, she was a business person. She went to Kellogg University, which is quite a prestigious mm. business university over there. And really but she didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't work. She just <laughs> did whatever she wanted. And then the boys were five and seven. And they were the worst children I've ever <laughs> absolutely ever spent time with. <laughs> they they were yeah. They had some serious issues. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And dealing with really, really, really rich people, like that was my first experience of dealing with yeah. wealth on that level. And to give you a perspective, the grandparents, the grandma was the CEO of a family business that this was in 99, 98, 99. That business had generated $7 billion that year alone. Wow. So they were, and then the grandpa was the CFO of Medtronics, which is like a leading heart pacemaker, you know, so they weren't yeah. rough, you know, roughing it at all. And the kids Did you go were to taught, house? Yeah, we went, we flew private jets. <laughs> yes. We went to their, their cottage in um, Wyoming. And wow. this what about cottage. Vineyard? I pictured you going to the no, Hamptons. <laughs> no, we never went to. Oh, we did go to the Hamptons, but they also had a yacht. So we'd go on their yeah. yacht. Look, I mean, it was an experience that I got to have, but I pride myself on treating people regardless of your status, you mm. know, just nice and kind. And they taught their kids that they, they would have their kids crumble up a bunch of biscuits and crackers, throw it on the ground and say, Lisa, clean it up. And that oh, would be okay for the, you know, the parents to allow that. So it was a really, really hard time. Um, wow. And yeah. so I had a two-year how, how contract. Old you, Lisa? I would have been 19. Right. Mm. And it was a two-year contract. It was a two-year contract. I ended up leaving six months shy of the two years. One two reason years. is they told me that I would be able to do some schooling while I was over there so I could pick up some courses at the community college and they didn't follow through with that. And, um, and the kids were, they, they had some serious, serious problems that the parents just didn't want to recognize. Mm. And, and it was really interesting because the oldest was seven years old. They had had two nannies before me that did two year contracts each. So four years, right? I was their 12th nanny. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. something kind of, and, and even my friend. It, it was the nannies, not the kids, according to them. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and even my right. friend's boss said, she called me and apologized when I was leaving. She said, oh, I nice. knew, I knew that they were not the best, but I really wanted my friend, she, her, her nanny. She wanted a friend close by for her. So she wasn't so homesick. So, right. I mean, yeah, I get it. But it was an experience. You know, I got to live in New York City. I got to, you know, meet. That's also where I I got to meet a lot of international people because there were tons of au pairs. So, you know, you're at the park with your kids and <laughs> who are you going to meet? You're going to meet. So I met yeah. a lot of people from Sweden. There was quite a uh, quite a few Swedish au pairs there. And um, that started opening my eyes even more to the fact that I knew I wanted to travel a lot. But so, and yeah. Were they treated well, the Swedish, as a general um, were treated fairly well. It, it was all interesting. I mean, I met people from so many different levels of wealth, old money, new money, you know, and yeah. money can be really the root of all evil, right? Mm. It can really change people. 
Yeah. Interesting. You see those shows about um, my kids watch this show called Jesse, which is about a nanny that lives in New York and she comes in from somewhere and she's a country music singer and that's her dream. And uh, just as you've described as, you know, she takes the kids down to the local park and all the other nannies have their kids there and there's the hierarchy amongst the nannies depending mm-hmm. on the family and the wealth and, the you know, yeah. it's interesting to hear that that sort of kind of happens in real life. It really does. Really yeah. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, okay, so and so, you obviously know Central Park really well. Then I know pretty well. Yeah, there was a really great jog around the lake that I like to do, and yeah, I, I think um, I've been back to New York several times since, and I think it's a destination that most people should visit. Not it's not for everybody, um, but you know, as you age and as you change in what your likes and dislikes are, you just see a whole different perspective on the area like i haven't been back to japan since the 90s right i know and i am killing myself because that is such a destination that i want to go back to and my perspective will be so so different and Mm. yeah i have but i also have this weird rule that i like to go to new places i understand that completely i have absolutely nothing bad to say about japan honestly there's nothing no i i get i love that place it's the, and especially the food. Mm-hmm. Especially, I love the food and how safe I felt. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Except uh, not so much the, the last few months. I mean, that's only if you're a prime minister. Yeah, that's right. you're gonna be worried. Yes. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, after the after New York, what happened next? Went back to school because I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> suffered it through sounds it. Sounds like me. I love it. Party I, I, yeah, I mean, look, I I partied a lot. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> um, Oregon is a free spirit. So we partied a lot, and then I finished my two years that I needed to get all the stupid classes out of the way, and then I decided that my major would be health promotion and education. Mm-hmm. So I started some of my major courses, which I excelled in because they were actually interesting and I felt more fulfilled. But then I decided to transfer to Oregon State University, which is one of the two biggest universities in Oregon. Um, so I moved there 2000, probably. Where, was, where, where, is it? where was Oregon State? Is that Portland? That's in Corvallis, where the Beavers. Mm-hmm. I was just yeah. going to say, what's the top sporting team that comes out of there? Well, not us, but <laughs> my rival, which is actually at the very beginning of this conversation, Leanne, when you were talking about Adidas mm-hmm. and you said the shoes. So Nike <laughs> is from Oregon. That's right. It is. And my competitive school, which is University of Oregon, they're basically funded by Nike because Phil Knight oh, really? went to school there. So... I don't like the ducks. Phil Knight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a documentary about him. Yeah, yeah. So Phil Knight's the founder of Nike. He went to school yeah. there and um and they are very well funded, especially from a sports perspective. What do they call those people that uh, uh pump funds into the sporting teams and that? Uh the alma maters? No, that the um the boosters. 
the booster. booster. So he's a booster, yeah. is he, for that uni? Well, he's like the main funder. Yeah, that's the uni. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I just it's, love the way these universities in the U.S. are just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, yeah. Corn Vallis is in between. Cor, cor, can you say that again? What is it, Corn Corn Vallis or Cor Vallis? Sorry, Cor Vallis. Yeah. Sorry, I thought it was corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's corn growing there. It's um, all that Mexican verb we're talking. <laughs> cor Vallis is between Eugene and Salem. Yeah, so Salem's our capital, capital, and really? Eugene. Yeah, Eugene is where University of Oregon's at. So they're only a couple hours away from each other. Is Salem where the cigarette brand comes from? I Probably. don't know. Do they grow tobacco in Portland? I don't think so. It that wasn't not. where they burned the witches, though. That was on the other side of the country. <laughs> That's in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they might do that here, too, but I don't think so. <laughs> Wait, can I just ask you this a really random question? Why is it that there's no big cities on the coast of Oregon, you know, why are they all inland? Like even Salem, Eugene, Portland, they're all inland. It's a really good question. We can't speak probably, about that, Leon. Probably because we don't want big cities on the coast. That's our escape. That's where we go. We don't want them to grow too big. Because, I mean, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they're all on the coast. I just, mm. That's California, Leon. They're a different yeah. beast. Leave them to the, down there. They're not... They're not Oregonians, my friend. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good question. I have no idea. There's a lot of mm. – it is all, like, summer holiday destination on the coast. Just, you can Portland see freezes beach. over in winter, though, doesn't it, Lisa? It no, rains a lot. Yeah. If, no, it, like if it snows or freezes over, the entire town shuts down. Yeah, right. But yeah. that might be why there's no nothing. Anyway, yeah, it gets bloody cold on the the coast. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so uh, Oregon State, uh, then you ended State. up getting your degree there. I did. I did get my degree. The most useless thing of paper <laughs> I've ever gotten. <laughs> Bachelor of Applied Science in Public Health Education and Promotion. Yes, that is what I have. Hmm. Yeah, I like the I've promotion tacked on the end. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I always say the one thing I learned in college was my social security number. <laughs> and that's about it. No, I mean, look, my, my degree courses, courses were great. Like I, I really enjoyed my health courses and I specialized in sex education and addiction services. So that was really fascinating to me. But um, if I could go back, I would never, never go to college. So what sort of a job does someone who gets that degree go into? What are the really, know, really good question? Pete. Um, so <laughs> I think, cause I'm pretty sure it doesn't lead you to, um, flight school. Wherever no, you are now. no. Um, so a lot of people would go on and get their PhD or their master's, and then they would yep. work for maybe hospitals and administration, or they would go over to the East Coast and work for some of the bigger um, government agencies. I mean, I got it because I didn't know what else to go for. That was part of the reason. But also, I was interested in, in um, education, health education. And um, I felt like even at that younger age, the the sex education 
in schools was well abstinent only like that's all they taught you so and again that this is not coming from me who was raised to be this wild sex crazed (laughs) person you know like but i just understood the importance of having all the knowledge that was really important to me so i ended up getting a job as a caseworker for child welfare so i worked with families that had their kids taken away from them and i did that purely because i needed a job i did it for about three years and during that time well actually while i was still in university i got introduced to a company that hosted parties that sold relationship enhancement products wow and <laughs> pure romance I love this would be this would be pure romance and you were so, there for 11 years i love the name <laughs> yes yeah, so i was actually we don't yeah, go with I, anything that subtle out here <laughs> <laughs> i know i was a bit like nervous about bringing this up so i started working for them in 2002 as an independent consultant doing parties and stuff um, i did that throughout the last year and a half of my schooling or year or so. And then I did it while I was still a caseworker. I worked for the um, Department of Health as the executive administrator. And things just kind of exploded with my business. So you're and teaching I, sex education in the mornings and then you were selling sex <laughs> enhancement products. Relationship, in the <laughs> relationship enhancement products. Yes, yes. Yeah. But oh, I will say as as cheeky as I am about never using my degree, what I actually use my degree the most as I progressed with this company is I started working with a lot of different doctors and clinics and organizations that worked with mostly women that were having sexual side effects from different types of cancer treatments and medication. So I would go in and do consultations, presentations for them. Um, And that was really rewarding. It was really, really amazing. And then I started training other people around the US. And that, my friends, is what brought me to Australia. I can see Wow. The sex capital of the world. I love it. They wanted to launch the company in Australia and they said, Lisa, will you be the person to do that? So that's brilliant. And you went, I've never been to Australia. I want to tick that off my list. Well, actually I correct, correct. I was in Costa Rica. December, January of 2010, going to 2011. I had just gotten a divorce. I needed an escape. I met within my first day of being in Costa Rica, I met this young couple from Australia. And we ended up hanging out because we were staying in the same area for about a week. And um, they were telling me all about Australia. And I went home after my six weeks in Costa Rica. And I told the owner of the company, I'm going to move there. Of course, I knew nothing about what I needed to do. And then three months later, he said, are you serious? I said, yes, I am. He goes, then we will move you there. And within five months, I sold everything I owned in, in the U.S. and relocated to Sydney. Okay. I mean, and uh, did, I, I just have to ask you because you just dropped it like a clanger. <laughs> and it just we would have missed it had you. <laughs> you said you got divorced. Oh, like, that. Yeah. Heck? Yeah. Like yeah, was, that, where was that in the timeline of the explanation? Because I mean, I'm tracing your life history through <laughs> Oregon University. Then the next thing I know, there's a husband we don't know about. 
Yeah, we don't need to worry about it. No, so I got, <laughs> I started dating him when I was still at Southern Oregon University. He was going to Oregon State. So I transferred up to be near okay. him. Makes more sense now. We were, yeah, we were together for eight years. Yes. But then we um, went our own way. It was very amicable. And uh, I have no idea what he's doing now. We did not stay in touch, but yeah. Okay. Right. And part of the reason was is that I wanted to travel with with the pure romance. I went on in probably just 10 years, about 35 different trips all over. And I could oftentimes bring a, a, a guest and he never wanted to come with me. So my best friend always came and I thought, oh, I can't be with somebody that doesn't ever want to travel with me. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I concur. Uh, did Pure Romance open in Australia as Pure Romance or was it called something else? No, they opened in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to because I've not heard of it. always looking for a discount. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they're, still, they're still in play. Yeah. I thought there was going to be a story with the Australian couple in Costa Rica, to be honest. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no, they're still here. I unfortunately, um, when I moved to Australia, I was no longer an independent consultant with them. I was yep. still that, but I also became an employee. And sometimes as an employee, you just see a different side of a company that mm. made me choose to go a, a new route. And is that is that business model like what we call party plan? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yep. So that would have been, uh, how old were you when you started doing that? 21. Wow. So, and, and I know you mentioned the people with medical conditions, but I imagine when you started out, it was just friends and friends of friends. Yeah. So, one of my funniest experiences, I didn't tell my parents. I bet. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> would have, uh, your I dad would have had that. Well, he would have sworn for the third time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, you know, you know, especially when I was first starting out, I didn't know if I was going to be successful. So what's the point of getting them upset about it, you know? And about, I don't know, probably eight months to a year into it, I, I did drive a lot. Um, so I would drive during the weekends out, out, outside of school, three, four hours away to do a party for people. And my my mom's side of the family is not religious. So my aunt said, I'll come down and, and do a party for us. And I said, okay, fine. So that was about a five-hour drive. And I get down there and they said, oh, by the way, your mom's in town this weekend. I was oh like, God. cool, but don't have her come. You know, like, let's just not mm. have that happen. Anyways, a bunch of people ended up canceling last minute. And my aunt felt really bad. So she had my mom, mm. my other aunt, my great aunt. Oh, my great. grandma and then a few of her friends all show up to this party. Nice. And I was like, okay, all right. So my mom, I had told my mom probably a few months before because she was always wondering why I was in the car all the time, why I was driving. And of course, she was worried about it. So I finally said, okay, mom, don't freak out, but I have my own business. I sell relationship enhancement products. And she said, do you sell sex toys? And I said, <laughs> that is part of it, mother. And she goes, well, you you do whatever you do. That's fine. But I'm not telling your father. I said, that's fine. <laughs> that's so, <true. laughs> yeah. So now, now we get down to my aunt's party. And I 
really didn't know how I would do it. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could talk about certain things in front of her. I tamed it a little bit, but I still gave the, the whole show. And, and it was actually, I mean, that would have been what almost 20 years ago. It's mm-hmm. so vivid in my memory because I did all the ordering in private and my great aunt came in and, you know, she had lost her husband a couple of years ago. And she said, I um, will never get married again, but that doesn't mean that I don't want something, you know, and the yeah. felt that she felt comfortable. My grandma comes in and says, grandpa wants something for a massage. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my mom came in and my mom was kind of crying and I thought, oh my gosh, I've just, you know, made this gap between a relationship or something. And she said that was so professional and so educational. And it is so important that this is an opportunity that women feel safe and can talk about these things because it really is. I mean, I, I make light of the fact that of what I would sell, but the reality is it was, it's all about educating and women go through so many sexual health issues that you know, it was that safe place that they could ask somebody who was educated and could do it in a a very comfortable, non-threatening way. So my mom was really quite thrilled by it. And in fact, the next time I went home, my dad asked for business cards so he could give it to all his female colleagues. So they became some of my biggest supporters. And, you know, it it really helped just um, get rid of the myth that it is this dirty negative thing because that's that's not the the case. I mean, sure, some people take it that way, of course, yeah, but yeah. it was really it's about the education and the empowerment. That is, but that is a such brilliant story. story. It is so yeah. incredible because mm-hmm. the parents are Mormons, for goodness' sake, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just couldn't imagine anyone more conservative. No smoking, no drinking, and then there you were yep. doing the thing. <laughs> So I say all the time, my parents are really, truly amazing because they have supported me in everything that I've done in my life. Yeah. That is a brilliant story. I can honestly tell you, I could not imagine in a million years anyone in my family doing anything like that. I I can't even imagine it. (laughs) (laughs) Just the thought of your grandmother, your mother, your your great aunt. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was... Grandpa wants something for the mess. Once I got over that, then I could talk to anybody about anything. I bet you could. I bet you could. It's probably the making of you really in that business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I became incredibly successful. I was at the the top of the company and um, obviously they trusted me enough to bring me out to Australia. And whilst I left and definitely would not go back. Um, I credit them to a lot that's happened in my life and the person that I am. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. What a great story. And so uh, you came to Australia, spent a few years with them. It sort of didn't work out. And then what yeah. you went on t- into business on your own? Yeah. So then I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always kind of ran my own thing and I've built, you know, s- success out of doing that. So I started my own consulting business called Tough Love Advising. Mm -hmm. I also like to make people cry. And uh, (laughs) so I worked with a lot of I've actually worked with a few of Pure Romance's competitors to help them understand how to develop a bigger business and their training module and all that kind of stuff. I worked with um, lots of small business owners that were in the party plan industry. I worked with random random businesses that just wanted an audit on 
how they're doing things. So I did that for several years. And then I ran an events company in Sydney with a colleague. And then I should, since you guys were shocked by the divorce, I did meet an Aussie (laughs) shortly after moving to Australia. (laughs) So we were together. And then about, yes, eight years ago, we both just decided we wanted something different. We wanted to get out of Sydney and all the driving and the craziness there. And he's a concreter. He likes the heat. He said, let's go to Cairns or Darwin. This was when um, Impex was kind of booming. So we said, Darwin, I knew nothing, nothing. We arrived November 9th. I got out of the uh, car. <laughs> I, will not back say, yeah, I will not say what I said out loud, but I was shocked at what I had moved to. <laughs> but I love it here. I think it's great. Gee, baptism so of fire, November And 9th. so he's from Sydney, is he? He was, he's actually from Germany. He was oh. born in, in Germany, stayed there until he was five, and then his family relocated to Sydney area. Right. Gee. Yeah. And, and, and so now you've uh, – well, are you still doing the tough love? Or you no, that? no. I got really sick of trying to help people be successful <laughs> because a lot of people don't want to know what they're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit challenging. So, and then also when we relocated up here, he had owned his own concrete company in Sydney. I had still done my own thing and we hadn't worked for somebody for years and years. And we said, let's just get jobs. Let's just relax for a little bit. Mm. And I thought, if I have to work for somebody, I have to do something that I really, really enjoy. And that's when I became a travel agent. So did you have to go to school for that? No. I mean, I joined Flight Center, which gives you three weeks of training. And within my first three hours in the training, I knew immediately, just learn the skills and then go do your own thing. So, right. yeah. yeah. Interesting. I learned, learned the skills. Oh, that was with like them. me. Yeah, about a year, and then went independent. Yeah. Okay. And so now it's uh, called. So you're basically a. What What's the business called? Um, Travel manager. Travel manager, and that's that's what some sort of uh, structure or something. Yeah. So Travel Managers Australia is basically like a hub that they only work with independent agents. So we utilize them for the branding, the buying power, the support, the yeah. um all the systems. So I don't have massive overheads, yeah, you know, like nice. all these shops, which is brilliant. You know, people yeah. say, Oh, don't you have a shop? I said my shop is cafes all over Australia, yeah, all over yeah. Darwin. I get to support local businesses. Yeah taste new coffee everywhere and to be honest it's actually the new business model so i'm setting up an agency real estate agency next year and i'm doing exactly the same thing pay a small monthly fee be given everything and just do what you do i just don't understand why people want a storefront and they want all that overhead and i was just talking to somebody sorry to interrupt you but i'm really passionate about this topic and I get a lot of people because I've been in small business for 30 years and for some stupid reason, people will sometimes ask me for advice. And when they tell me they're starting a business that involves renting a shop, I will automatically say, well, you've already done the wrong thing. And they're like, what? It's like, if your business starts with renting a shop, you're not thinking right. Because in this modern age, look look at COVID. Now, that may never happen again, but look at what COVID did to all these businesses because their structure was flawed. And 
Yeah. Uh, in that type of business, what you're doing, and there's many other types, you just don't need to do it the way everybody's done it for 50 years because that's not necessarily the right way. Yeah. And look, I do have a few clients that came into me when I was at Flight Center and they said, oh, but we won't be able to just pop in and say hi. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. But that's a I'm plus. Also, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm also quite accessible. So, you know, yeah. it, but I don't have these overheads. I mean, when COVID hit, it was financially devastating for my business. Well, I was just going to ask you, but of course. Absolutely. But not to the point where, I mean, you look at here in Darwin, there was seven flight centers and now there's Correct. one. Correct. You know what I mean? And I know for a fact that they had to pay rent at several of their locations, even though they weren't open. So why would I want to put myself in that position? Mm. Correct. Yeah. Because the overheads, when they're high, yeah, you might get a rental discount or whatever for a little while, but they're going to remain high. Mm. If you start with low overheads or you operate under low overheads and your business stops for six months or 12 months yes it's it it kills your lifestyle but it mm -hmm. doesn't then take everything else yeah and you know overheads a storefront is just one of like for me and i'm, I'm sure similar for real estate the systems that you Correct. need to use Correct. are so expensive so why That's would it. i want to pay for my own <laughs> system and they've either done a job on us as industries or it's just a fact but you can't have one system to do everything. There's mm -hmm. a marketing system, there's a CRM, there's an advertising system, there's systems for everything, and, and some of them integrate, some of them don't, but you need them all. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah, I'm with the umbrella of travel managers. There's about, pre-COVID, there was about 650 of us around Australia. Now there's, I think, about 500. Um, and to be honest, joining this company besides all the other benefits we've just mentioned the amount of knowledge and experience amongst these 500 is unreal i'm a novice mm. compared to all of them i mean i've been doing it for you know seven plus years now but i know nothing nothing compared mm. to some of these people that have been give in me, the industry give me an example give me an example of what you mean by that Oh, I mean, sometimes I could, you know, like, let's say you have an obscure location that you want to go to. You want to travel. <laughs> <laughs> you want to travel through Uzbekistan or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can guarantee I could post on our Facebook group and say, what supplier, what time of year, what routing, what do you, and I'll get 15 different responses that says, okay, this is right. what you should do. This is, you know, no one person can know it all. Mm -hmm. at all and so to be able to have this vast network i mean you know leanne you talk about all the people in, in the um ward keller and your big empire that you guys have and talking to everything that they can do it's uh, it makes your business more successful mm. interesting interesting and so uh, so how did you end up becoming a, a east timor specialist oh my favorite topic <laughs> So in 2018, I I work a lot with Air North. So they were having me do a lot of packages to the different destinations that they were going to. And they wanted to really highlight 
Team Reneste. So I started to do some research. I started talking to the Jape family because obviously they're quite ingrained over there. Um, and then in 2019, I started going over and experiencing everything that Timor has to offer. And I fell in love. I fell in love the minute I flew in. I mean, it was just such an amazing country. So 2019, I spent a lot of time and energy working with NGOs, private sectors, um, really anybody in the tourism industry that wanted to tourism industry over there that wanted help to grow and bring people over. We were really making some great progress. <laughs> and hmm. this crazy thing happened in March, 2020. So everything went to shit. And hmm. then um, I've reignited it again. So we are, yeah, some big, big things are happening with Timor. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to East Timor twice now. Uh, it sort of reminds me of what Bali might have been. What reminds me? It make I, I feel like it's what Bali might have been thirty or forty years ago. Yeah. It's just yeah. uh, you know underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. um, but what was really intriguing for me was the variety of food you get there because of all the NGOs. <laughs> you know, when I was just there in May and some new restaurants have popped up. I was blown away. In fact, I came home and I made a foodie tour. So I put together a foodie tour, a four-day, three-night foodie tour because oh, nice. I was so impressed with some of these new restaurants. They have quite a few like social enterprises and teaching schools that teach not only cooking, but hospitality. Um, they also you know, are really into their agriculture and their coffee, um, obviously fishing and fresh food. I was just joking with um, one of the restaurants because they put a post on social media with a dozen oysters, fresh, fresh, fresh oysters. And it was $7. <laughs> and I was like, oh my wow. gosh, we can't even get two for $7 over here. You know? <laughs> so yeah, the food is amazing, but they have the best diving in the world. And I think that that's very under, Yes, it's, it's not well known. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, nah. best diving in the world. Even if you're not a diver, a snorkeler, mm -hmm. the history, I mean, the history is is very violent, but it is incredibly fascinating. The people are welcoming, friendly. Oh, I can't speak more highly of it. Yeah. I mean, I, Pete, I don't think I ever told you this story, but we um, we went for a drive down the equivalent of Yarralumla in uh, – <laughs> in in yeah. Dili, and mate, you see these embassies there, right? You know, you've got the Australian embassy is quite a yeah, nice, yeah. nice, you know, place, and which you'd expect because of our proximity. Yep. And then you see the American embassy, and you think, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Shinto, what the hell? It's this. It's probably bigger than the one in Canberra. Right. <laughs> and then you Why go around cheap, the corner, man? and then you see the Chinese embassy. Mate, it's just it, there's a big competition going on over there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, interesting. So, um, yeah, look, I I would love to go back to uh, East Timor again. Uh, I, we went up to the mountains there. I forget what that place is called. Mambisi. Yeah. Or Mount Ramelau. No, 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 the other one. Mambisi. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's a Portuguese name, isn't it? Or is it yeah, there's a uh, there's a posada up there. 
Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. we stayed there. It's sort of like yeah. sort of run down. It's unfortunately not. Um, they didn't take good care of it during COVID, so I know that they're in the process of mm. trying to get back up to snuff. But a lot of they lost some really amazing places during COVID, but they've also replaced it with some others that are amazing. Right, and then there's that island that uh, you Arturo. can. Aturo, yeah. Apparently, it's pretty nice to go over there. Is, is Have you been there? I go every trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. there's also Jacko Island, which is a much farther. It's not an easier, it's not an easy trip to get to. So you need to go for several days to get to Jacko. Yeah. Right. I, there's so, so much to do. Right. And, and getting there from Darwin, is it a daily flight? Um. Tuesdays, I think, are the only days there's not a flight. But Qantas also just added. So Qantas and Air North are the two airlines. It's a 75-minute flight. Mm. So, I mean, why not go, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a great destination. I, I've been talking to a lot of people right now that are wanting to get away over the Christmas and New Year period. But if you haven't planned something now, forget Too about late. it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's so expensive. Or availability is just, you know crazy so timor is a great option for that because it's so quick and easy to get to you don't you're not going to go for two weeks necessarily but you can still feel like you've got a little bit of a holiday over that time period lisa how do you deal with the conundrum that uh you obviously love the place and i imagine you love its simplicity and you know the as leon said you know it's sort of like bali 30 or 40 years ago and you're a travel agent and you want to tell everyone about it, but you don't actually want them there when you go there yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. I just had some clients come back over the weekend. So I met with them. Well, I guess I met with them last Thursday. So they were there the week before. And I said, everywhere you went, were you the only tourist? And they said, yep. <laughs> so look, I don't think it's going to be a place that's going to you know, have hundreds of people everywhere you go for a very, very, very long time. I right. think we've got a good couple of years that people can go and truly feel like it's a place that they're by themselves, you know, yeah. and experience some really magical ex experiences. Yeah, it's, That'd be pretty um, unique, wouldn't it, for this part of the world? Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... I mean, I think Darwin's a bit like that in many ways. I know that only in the last sort of probably five or ten years have even a lot of Australians actually bothered to come to Darwin and the Territory and explore it. But, mm -hmm. you know, if I said to you know, friends of mine, have you ever thought about taking a fa uh, you know family holiday in Timor-Leste, I can't imagine they'd say, well, where the hell is it? And if you said East Timor, they'd go, hang on, aren't they in war? But yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it, yeah. it's sort of um, – very much off the beaten track still. Yeah, they either don't know about it or they have Correct. an idea from the 70s and early 80s. And a yeah. lot has changed. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are still some really horrible roads. You know, like right. that's the thing is it's not a destination that you're like, oh, I'm just going to go on to Expedia and <laughs> book this holiday. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, yeah. you to truly experience it, you need an expert like myself that can say, okay, what is yeah. it that you want to do? And let's cater that holiday to, right. to meet those things. Yep. Just so you guys know, I am doing an information night next month so people can learn all about it. So I'll send you an invite. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Dude, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think it's just important. People need to know it's in their backyard and they have no clue what they could do mm. over there. Uh, and I you agree. Said Qant Qantas and Air North flight. Does that mean? Yeah. That 
So it's so two different airlines flying there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So Qantas, what Qantas have done is they've stopped flying um, other traditional routes mm-hmm. and uh, they've like, now decided like to, to Brisbane or something. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've now decided to create unnecessary competition on one that no one else wanted to fly on before. Oh my God. So Air North has been flying it for 20 years mm-hmm. and they pre COVID were going every day. And then they went down to three days. Well, then they recently went down to three days a week, but then they've gone back up to, I think, five or six. And the, theirs are in the morning. And then Qantas does Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, right. Just cars, hey? Then what's the um, capacity like? Is it, uh, is it 60? Full? Oh, um, I think it depends on the day. Because there is a lot of NGO that go back and forth. Mm. You know, there, there is a lot of that. Uh, but that's my goal is to get full capacity. What size yeah. planes are they? Seven three sevens? No, this seven. I think they're um, a seven two seven Embraer. I'm the worst travel oh. agent because airline or aircraft means nothing to me. What the do, heck, do they have Lisa? propellers no, going I'm around? Horrible. Oh. Yeah, they no, do. No. no, we like pull a, a cord and we. Let me tell you, Pete. Pete, I the first time I flew over there, it was a yeah. propeller job coming back, and it, it ah. was. Not very pleasant, right? It's loud, isn't it? It's loud, but there's yeah. a, a bunch of issues as well. But the the mm-hmm. second time I went, it was jet there and back. It was an Embraer, which is a very right. nice aircraft. Yeah, that's what Air nice. North flies, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're nice. Um, yeah. I don't know what Qantas are flying, but I think they're flying Embraers actually. But okay. it's uh, it's sort of like a one-two seating, a bit like the one to right. Springs. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it depends yep. too on the day and the capacity. Like they. Yep. All airlines are having to switch things up to make do with yeah. availability of, of staff and whatnot. So, I even if I could tell you, <laughs> it'll be changed by tomorrow morning anyway. Correct, correct. Yeah, so let's just right. pretend like I'm well, telling I, you the right thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm now going to use my my new favorite travel agent from here on in because I'm I've I'm absolutely had enough of the airlines' websites because now. I've noticed, and I was telling someone this the other day because they were booking a flight and they said they wanted to go on this day at this time. I said, it doesn't matter what time or day you want to go. When you book a flight now, and I'll, I'll happily out both Virgin and Qantas on this, when you book a flight on either of their airlines, you put in your day and your time and blah, 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 and it brings up all the selections, and you cl- and you tick your selection that you want, and then you hit the button to go to the next stage, and then it says blah, 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 and then when you hit your final button, it says, oh, by the way, none of this is guaranteed, and that's <laughs> and it's not part of our contract to make this guaranteed. So the money you're about to hand over, it's a little bit like putting it on red or black at the casino. We may give it back to you, we may not, but all the stuff you just checked, there's absolutely no guarantee that's going to happen. So, Leon, from a lawyer's perspective, what are your thoughts on that? The rubbish. <laughs> I mean, you could, they can't do that. It's, it's well, just not acceptable. Well, dude, read it. It's the top line mm-hmm. before you agree. It says everything you've just selected is basically random. It's yeah, in the lap no. of the gods. No, there's a thing called the ACL, and I'm sure that if anybody bothers to yeah. read it, the Australian Consumer Law, you can't. You, you've got to. You've got to deliver what you. What you uh, contract to deliver, and you can't just, you know, well, if you're not going to deliver yeah. it. If you're not going to deliver it, you're going to either have to refund the money or compensate the person in some way. But yeah, but it's that, that I mean, I get all that, but you know, I had a, a, a personal 
situation a month or so ago, which I think I told you about, and I had kids traveling on a flight two hours after me, mm-hmm. and I was traveling on another flight two hours earlier so I could then meet them and pick them up at the airport. My flight got canceled when I'm sitting at the gate, right? She'd just given me my ticket, which was basically an upgrade. So if she didn't know, 30 seconds after she did that, they went, sorry, this flight's canceled. Okay, you might be able to wear that. My bag's already gone on a flight. So it was 24 hours plus till I got my bags back. My kids, I had to organize to get someone else to pick them up. That's, it's just it, at the moment, and I understand because people said to me, well, you can't get angry at them because they're dealing with you know, all these new staff because everybody quit during COVID and they've got issues. And Yeah, I get all that. But honestly, if I ran my business that way, well, Leon probably says I do, but um, <laughs> <laughs> of course wouldn't be open for long. As a travel agent who stuck through COVID, the new world of travel is crazy. Mm, it's um, yes. very unreliable. It's chaotic. Um, the airlines, and I'm not going to call out one because it's pretty much all of them, do not want to take any responsibility whatsoever to what's happening. Um, they want to pass the buck. So whilst I always say, you know, travel agent can offer you so much more than just an online, you know, web browser or whatever. Mm. The fact that we get the buck packed passed to us where there's things that are there are out of our control. It's a bit challenging in that regard, but I think that it's going to be at least at least this time next year that things are going to be somewhat back to normal. It's going mm, to be a it, while. It feels like that. And and as much as Leon says they're going to give you a refund or they'll put you onto another flight, yeah, I mean, that's just unfortunately neither of those options are acceptable in some yeah. certain situations. And it's not know, just situations. It's not just here. I mean, I. Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. Matt Graham, as you know, Pete, he's been on the podcast. Um, he flew from uh, from um, Montreal to to Vancouver via Calgary the other day, and uh, he, it was about nine hours late. Uh, and yeah, it was just a giant mess. I mean, d- to the point where they were reversing the plane and the tug cr- crashed. <laughs> they had to wait for that to be fixed. It was just. Mm-hmm. No, no. But I will say this. I don't know, Lisa, maybe you might have a different view, but if you can if you can arrange all your travel to be on Singapore Airlines, you, you've got a reasonably good chance of a happy ending. I'm knocking on wood right now. <laughs> Going back I to a previous say, career. <laughs> I would say that Singapore is definitely one of the most reliable. Yeah. I've been yes. through that airport now twice, uh, and I went through Sydney and Melbourne once, and I can tell you, mate, it's night and day, Yeah, night and day. And can I also tell you, there's a whole stack of these different um, Facebook pages that have popped up, which are basically just been set up to name tourist destinations and towns that people hate around the world. <laughs> and then someone also set one up for airports that they hated. And so, you know, the inevitable question went up, what's what's the airport that you, you've been to that you hate most in the world? And somebody put Singapore Airport. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I was staggered. Oh, my gosh. So what, would, must... what would be your least favourite? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
of the ones that I've been to. To be honest, I don't really blame airports for a good or bad experience. I mean, sometimes you go to the regional airports and there's not much there, but that's not their fault. They don't have a lot of passengers. But I mean, the, the two that, well, Singapore, obviously, in that post, the other one that gets a bad rap that people talk about is Dubai. I've, I lived in Dubai for a long time and I used that airport many times. Well, it's just got heaps of things to buy. I well, don't you know. Got to, you got to, well, hang on, mate. You, you got to think distinguish of it as a bad between, You got to distinguish between pre and post COVID. Okay, you know, uh, cool. I think that there's a there's a big difference because uh, pre COVID, I you know Sydney was okay. Now I would avoid it like the plane. Oh, okay, you yeah. Know, right. I just don't trust it. I don't yeah. trust uh, the whole process because of the timings or. The facilities because, are, uh, because of the horrible experience that I had there. And, and Melbourne wasn't that much better, to be honest, you know? Right. Just too many people and not enough staff. Right? I, just remember, I, I just remember traveling through Melbourne Airport, September 2020, and there was- <laughs> cannon in there. <laughs> oh, literally. There was me and the, the staff member of the airline that I was talking to, and there was- Every single shop, I took a photo at the time, in that sort of food court, every single shop was closed. There wasn't yeah. a single thing open. Singapore was like that too. The, the, yeah. When I went to, and there was such a big difference, Lisa, between going to Singapore in May and then again in June. Just right. one month. Really? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah I can imagine that. So, um, you know, I mean, Singapore is uh, open up. But look, I mean, in terms of airports, I mean, look, maybe if you want some bad ones, I mean, besides Sydney and Melbourne, I mean, Los Angeles is a terrible place. Worse. Just oh, worse. yeah, yeah. Because it's so big. It's a zoo. Yeah. It's, nobody it's, knows what's going on. Nobody my, knows. My biggest complaint with Los Angeles and Southern California, and you, you might have a thought on this, Lisa, given your heritage. I was absolutely blown away at how many people could not speak English. In Southern California? Yeah. I, w I was literally stunned at how few people could converse with me. Were they speaking Spanish? I don't know what they were speaking. I presume they were Mexican. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was talking English and they were looking at me like I was speaking Swahili. They probably were speak could speak English. They just didn't want to. Well, they couldn't understand you, Pete. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> maybe, but I mean, I don't talk about Mick Dundee. Surely, I don't know. I, I was staggered by it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the whole, they can't understand you. So I went back to the U.S. 2017, I think, and a, a, call, a friend slash colleague of mine came with me, and he went on a road trip with me in Oregon for a week. And we were staying at this hotel, and we were going to have another drink. And he went to ask the gentleman, like, how late they were serving. What? How would you say that? Like, how late are you open? Or when are you serving your last drink? What do you what guys time say do you, that? I would say, what time do you close? I can't remember what he was saying, but this poor staff, what, 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 what? And I said, yeah. when's your last call? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. two more hours. You know, so it was funny because... I do think that sometimes the Australian accent can be quite strong, depending on where you're from, yeah. how many drinks you've had, this, that, or whatever, you know. Um, but then on the same token, some people say that they can't understand me when I'm over here. If he was using the word late and he doesn't 
and he's got an Aussie drawl, the guy would have thought he was saying light. <laughs> so that's where it would have got really mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my partner, we've been together for 10 years. I've been here for 10 years. He still makes one of the things that I say. And I said, do you understand what I'm saying? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, then shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, it's It's been such an intriguing journey, I have to say. And even though you thought you were boring, um, well, you weren't really, <laughs> not That's with good. the, uh, not with the pure. What was it called again? Pure romance. Pure romance story. I just that threw was, that one uh, in there. You really <laughs> spiced it up for us, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Pete. <laughs> well, um, I have had a, a pleasure talking with you guys, and I appreciate you inviting me on here. Territory, no territory story. <laughs> Territory, territory I'm going to second guess myself every time I say that now. I'm going to have to go in and practice. So the next time you go to say it, don't think of it as territory. Think of it as terra, T-E-R-R-A, tree, T-R-E-E, territory. 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 Yep. Oh, that's you, so much easier. Yeah, if you do it like that, you'll, you'll nail it in no time. Okay. All right. On that note, um, we look forward to uh, – well, I look forward to catching up with you again soon, uh, yes. hopefully at this East Timor thing because I'm going to try and see if I can get my partners to have a retreat there one of these days. I think they would enjoy it. Yes. Well, I will send you an invite, but I would love to catch up for a coffee as well. Cool. Or maybe I can make you some proper guacamole. Yeah. And now <laughs> I just realized too, uh, yeah, we, yeah, that's actually a very good point because I think Brad would be keen on that too. Um we didn't talk about Maven, but I'm going to get Deanna on to talk about that. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> she, she would have been waiting it. with bated breath. Go, <laughs> when is she going to talk about Maven? I'm so sorry, Deanna. <laughs> we got caught up. We'll get there. Don't worry, Deanna. I think you're going to be gone um, in October, are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've got plenty of time. Over to you, well, Pete. Was lovely. <laughs> nice oh, to meet you, Lisa. Thank you. Stay warm. I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you as well. Thank you so much for having me on. That was Lisa Malna on the Territory Story podcast. You can catch that through our website at territorystory.com and uh, more episodes coming soon. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.